You're listening to the Freedom House Podcast. We're a house that will empower you in your walk with Christ to get free, live free, and set others free. This is our Sunday service series. For more information, go to FHUS.org. Enjoy. Praise God. Thank you for those of you who are joining us online. This is Prophetic Prayer 5, which I can already tell you is going to be a 6 the following week because we certainly aren't going to get into all these things. How many enjoyed it thus far? Amen. Again, the first part of the series that we had was priestly prayers, and then the second has been that of prophetic prayers, and I kind of unpacked from the Old Testament even into the New Testament with the priestly prayers. The priestly prayers, uh, how many know uh, the emphasis of it was that we don't just carry the needs of ourselves, but also the needs of other people. We showed you in the Old Testament that the priests had 12 stones, and they had a breastplate, And it wasn't just that they uh, performed intercession on behalf of themselves, but they brought the needs of the tribes of Israel. In other words, they interceded on behalf of the people. And this is a priestly role. And how many know that in the New Testament, all of us are actually priests? And one of the points that I made that was very important for you to understand is in the Old Testament, the elite were the king, the priest, and the prophet. That is to say that when you saw them, you saw, if you will, dignitary. Uh, it would be like today seeing the uh, president or maybe the secretary of defense or the secretary of state or the vice president. They were high positions of dignitaries. The priests represented those who were closer or were in communion with God or the gods when you're speaking of other pagan religions. So therefore, there was a high regard for priests, even of other, uh, not within uh, uh, Judaism, but nonetheless in society at large amongst the ancients, they were viewed as, you don't monkey with the priests because they're hooked up with the gods, and we certainly don't want the curse of the gods because we malign the priests. So you'll find universally that these were high positions of dignitaries uh, amongst the priests. And in the New Testament, the Bible says that we are priests unto God. We are part of, he doesn't say just a priesthood. He says a, watch this, royal priesthood that emphasizes the point of the royalty or the elitism. And we're not talking about cultural elitism or uh, political elitism. We are talking about a spiritual elitism. And there's no place to take yourself in pride or anything like that because this certainly wasn't your doing. All of this was the work of Christ within your life that we can now become priests unto God no longer have to have an advocate between us and the Father. That we now have, according to the book of Hebrews, we, have, uh, we can access the throne room of grace. And the Bible doesn't say with timidity or with fear or with any type of trepidation. It says we can come boldly to the throne room of what? Grace. To uptime when? During a time of need. Emphasize that point, not when you feel great, not when everything is going oh so well and you feel like I can handle everything myself and I don't need God in my equation. It's in the time of your need because it's usually during this particular time that wrong mindsets, maybe even wrong people will speak the wrong type of doctrine within your mind. Sometimes religious devils will attack you and begin to say and begin to speak. This is the time for you to run away from God. Maybe shame will try to drive you away from God. But actually, it's in those times in which you run to him, not run away from him. During the times in which you feel broken, the times in which you feel ashamed because of the things that you've done. 
This is precisely the time in which Christ wants you to run to the throne room of grace. And everyone says. So that's the priesthood. The priest brings up the needs of the people from earth life up into heaven life. And as we've been talking about prophetic prayer, and we've showed you in the Old Testament under the ministry of Elijah, as well as the ministry of Jesus. We looked last week at Lazarus. We see that there were certain things that were spoken prophetically. And we see, uh, for example, with Elijah, there'll be no rain yet just at my word. In other words, when I give the word, that's when the rain will come. He spoke prophetically, yet we also saw that there had to be a time of intercession. And this is where we saw him go up to the Mount of Carmel. The Mount of Carmel is what? An elevated place, a place of communion. Traditionally, even amongst other pagan religions, you'll notice that high places were usually hijacked with, te- with idols or they were taken and it would be a place in which they put deities or they would begin to uh, worship on the high places, a place of an elevated place because that which was at an elevated place was the place of supremacy. And so we see that he went up on the Mount of Carmel, a place of a bird's eye view. It speaks of spiritually the place we are to be in the place of communion with God. Everyone should have a mountain or everyone should at least have a garden, just as Jesus went to the garden as well as he went up to the mountain. Every Christian has to have a garden. What is a garden? It's a place that's cultivated by you, by your decisions and by your commitment, as well as you calendaring a specific time in which you meet and you commune with God, by which you spend time in fellowship with him, just giving honor to him, getting to know him and getting to know him by his ways and by his word. We know him by his word as well as we know him by his spirit. And so even as Elijah knew, yet at my word, we see that he began to groan and began to pray a very unusual types of prayers, which we discussed. And we also see Jesus with Lazarus. He began to pray and he began to, as the scripture says, and we'll look into it, grunt even like a horse. You say, that sounds strange. I know. But it was something in which it was a spiritual operation. So even as priestly prayers go up, prophetic prayers come down. One of the points that we made that was important for you to understand is there may be certain things that you've known by the Spirit. How many have known certain things that you thought were God, that you thought were so clear? Maybe it was a dream. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was just kind of a a witness on the inside of you, the Holy Spirit bearing witness with you that you knew there were certain things and maybe you didn't see the fulfillment of those things. Maybe it was because those things needed to be prayed through. You know, in the early days of the infancy of, of, of my ministry, and even when I was born again in my teenage years, uh, growing up uh, over at CLC, the Assemblies of God Church, there was a little old ladies that were around, and I remember when they would begin to open up their mouth and they would begin to pray, and, oh, God. I mean, at first, in my immaturity, I thought, this is really strange right here. But there was something on the inside of me said, they're juiced up with something, and it must be God. I say that respectfully for today's generation and use a vernacular in which they can understand. But I, would, I, would, I can remember even visiting with my youth pastor at the time. He said, let's go visit because they were widows. And so uh, they really depended upon God. And because of their life stage that they were, they spent a lot of time in prayer. And I remember going saying, yes, trying to get really close because I remember the little old ladies up in the front, when they would open up their mouth and they would begin to pray, I would sense God hit the room. 
And even though I thought, this is a little bit strange, it seemed a little bit emotional, but inside I knew it's like God just came into the room. I know God is omniscient, he's all-knowing, he's omnipresent and everything, but it's like when she opened up her mouth or those little old ladies opened up their mouth, it's like God manifested himself right there. And I just, I was kind of, I was like intrigued by that, intrigued by the relationship that they had. I remember thinking, oh, wow, I think they know God. And, and so I could remember times like that and going to help and bring, uh, I remember one time bringing some groceries over from Safeway to this little old lady. I wanted to get real close to her because I thought she knows God and I need God. <laughs> and so I remember going to her house and, oh, she gave me a big hug and sloppy kiss and everything. And, oh, my God, let me pray for you. <laughs> and I'm just, all the hair on my, it's like, yes. So I was a little bit sh- shocked by it, but like all my hairs were standing up on edge. I was like, man, this guy, this woman knows God. And it was more than my hair shaking. It was me starting to shake it. She, oh God. And she'd give me words and she'd begin to prophesy over me. And even some of the, the words and prophecies that were spoken from a little old lady uh, about missions and the things that have happened, all those words came to pass. That prophetic grace that came by which she began to speak certain words. It was actually, interestingly enough, it was right down the street from Adobe Hacienda where Mary Mo owned it. A little old lady that was over there. Uh, A Holy Ghost woman that was there. And I can remember times like that in which uh, the power and the presence of God would move so mightily and stir up things on the inside of me, words that came forth in the prayer life that she had. You know, today, oftentimes in the church, we want to see the power of God, but we don't want to see the power of prayer. You see, the problem with a culture that likes the gifts of the Spirit only for entertainment purposes rather than kingdom purpose is they want the gifts, but you'll see there's a decline in the prayerlessness uh, in, in prayer. And prayer is really the power to the operation of these things. And this is why we need a new generation to arise and know the power of prayer, the power of priestly prayer, the power of prophetic prayers that rends the heaven. Amen. In the book of uh, uh, here we have in John, Again, let me just, because I only got about 10 more minutes. Let me just kind of go through this. I told you I wouldn't get to it. He's already laughing because he knows. (laughs) John chapter 11, the sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified. Jesus makes a prophetic declaration right as soon as he's told that Lazarus is dead. He didn't submit and say, well, let's just go run. And I got a gift of healing people because the Bible says all that came to him were made whole. So he didn't just immediately merchandise the gift that was on his life in order to go. He stayed back because the father wanted him to stay back. So a very significant point in this is you never just allow a gift that God gave you to drive the decisions that you make. Your gifting must be submitted to what he says. Just like when the Holy Ghost says, I want you to come to the cross, which is Santa Cruz, Holy Cross. Even though you can continue to do ministry in that place and the gift would have went into operation, are you willing to submit that gift to the place where he tells you to go? You say, is it scriptural for God to request something that he's given to you? I'm glad you asked that question. Because yes, Abraham. Abraham was promised. You'll have an Isaac. You'll have a son. And yet what happens is when he gives that son, God says, oh, by the way, I'll take him. Excuse me, but you gave them to me. Yeah, but I want to see if you'll surrender them or if that gift that I gave you will become your idol. 
are you here? And that's in everything, even as a nation. We've been given so much. We're so blessed as a nation. And I believe God is going through our nation and going through the churches of our nation and doing some sifting and doing some shaking to see what is our reliance upon? Is our reliance really upon him or is our reliance on just churches that go on automation and on autopilot? You see, the Bible says we live by faith. We don't live by traditions. And we see in the life of Jesus himself, certainly he could have done that, but he didn't. He stayed back. But he declared prophetically what was going to happen before he actually prayed through. The second time, again, this is before he ever even encounters Lazarus. He says, our, fa- our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. The second time Jesus prophetically makes a statement of what is going to be. The third time is in verse 14 to verse 15. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Notice this, Jesus's wonderful pastoral response. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. And of course, you know, even his own disciples, even Thomas uh, began to say, oh, let us go die too and begin to have kind of a a boohoo session. Uh, But again, uh, Jesus had ulterior motives. And uh, verse 23, Jesus said to her, this is when he arrives. Again, he states a fourth time what is going to happen. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. So we see him talking to Mary as well as Martha. And the fifth time, again, then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? What was Jesus trying to do? Why was it that he did not immediately go out when he heard word that his friend, whom the Bible says that he loved, how come he didn't immediately move out and do a house visitation? Uh, Because he wasn't directed by need. He was directed by what the Father said. Write that down. God isn't just necessarily, he sympathizes with you, but he's not moved by your need. He's moved by faith. Are you here? So Jesus didn't just go, well, we'll see whatever the sovereign Father says and does. No, he was hooked up. People of prayer are hooked up in order for them to know. This is why idolatry is so grievous in the sight of God. In the Old Testament, when you have idolatry, it was man going into communion with a particular God that was enshrined or encased within whether it was brick or mortal or clay and having communion, getting insight from the spirit world, which is completely illegal outside of the Holy Ghost, getting intel, getting information, the mysteries, it was totally forbidden. And why was it so grievous? Because God's intent is that his presence would not go into creation. Creator cannot be encapsulated or enshrined in his creation. His intent was that he come inside of you, that you indeed would be his temple, not enshrined in something that is man-made, but somebody whom he made called you, humanity. God's intent and desire was that he be inside of you and that he himself commune with you and have fellowship with you and have a garden on the inside of you. Just like it says in the book of Genesis chapter one, by which God came in the cool of the evening and walked with them. 
His desire is that you cultivate a garden on the inside of you. And God inside of you is not deaf. He wants to speak. Unfortunately, it's us who doesn't have ears to hear. Hence, that's why Paul says, he who has an ear to hear, or Jesus would speak. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. It's not to say that the Spirit isn't speaking. The problem is, is men don't have ears to hear. So Lord, open up our ears that we may hear. Open up our eyes that we may see. How many remember even Elijah, when he saw the chariots of God on the hillside and his person, his assistant that was next to him, uh, began to see all the natural chariots in the army and he began to go into trepidation and fear and said, oh, what's going on? And so Lord, open up his eyes to see those who are for us rather than those who are against us. In other words, have a different perspective, have an elevated position from an elevated place of the spirit. And the place of prophetic prayer is that place. For many of you have, have, have had words and God has spoken to you. and Maybe you haven't seen the fulfillment of those things. May I admonish you, press into prayer like never before. This is the reason why Jesus actually remarked with regards to prayer that you should uh, uh, press through and faint not. That you should continue to pray through. Just as we saw Elijah seven times go on the mount and begin to come back and continue to prayer. Prevailing prayer is a necessity for a people of the Spirit. Prevailing prayer is a necessity in order to grapple in that world. Not so much with God, though it is in one sense, but also to grapple with those things that would want to bring an objection to his purposes in the earth. Even spiritual beings that would want to be hostile towards his purpose being manifested in the earth. God wants to use you. He wants to use me to come into this place. Even as the book of Ephesians says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. The very fact that we've been elected and we've been chosen by God to stand in a position of wrestling means we are indeed. When you're in a wrestling match, that's called close proximity, my friend. We live in a Christian age in which, oh, keep the devil away from me. Well, then you're no earthly good. Let's just be fair about this. There's a grappling. There's a grappling in the spirit in order to get people free. Uh, Many of the meetings overseas, as well as in ministry at large, there's a grappling that has to occur in the spirit. There has to be a grappling in prayer, prophetic prayer, by which uh, uh, God begins to break the powers of the enemy. And you'll see the manifestation of God's power. And everyone says... When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply, watch this, what does it say? Moved in spirit. That word is pneuma, pneumatos. Okay, spirit. It doesn't say he was just deeply moved emotionally. Okay, this was not an emotional outburst. This was actually a spiritual operation that affected the emotions. Just like when I was telling you about the little old ladies, oh God, and as soon as they said, oh God, you felt God hit the room. It wasn't just something emotional. It was a spiritual operation by which it had its manifestation in all areas of life. Even to the point of physically, just rocking back and forth. Maybe some of you have seen that. 
you know, maybe at the wailing wall or whatever the case is in which people will get kind of in an automation. It's because they're so in that place. And these little old ladies would be such a place of prayer that they would even lose track and consciousness of this particular place. I know it sounds esoteric. I'm not trying to be esoteric. But the fact of the matter is, is we live in a world that is so anchored to earth like that we don't know how to get ourselves unshackled into that world where the supernatural is and where the kingdom of God is at and where God wants the kingdom to come and be made in manifestation upon the earth through you. And everyone says, what does this mean? As we see, he says, where have you laid him? He asked, come and see, Lord. They replied, notice this, Jesus wept. How many know this is the shortest verse in the Bible? Jesus wept. What is that? That's intercession. I'm going to submit this thought to you. This was not just (laughs) Lazarus is dead. Because how many times has he already said he's going to rise? Five times. So it can't be boo-hoo, he's dead like everybody else. This has to be a spiritual operation. This is a weepings. This is a priestly intercession that's occurring. Could it be that he's weeping on behalf of all the unbelievers that are there? Because we know that soon as Jesus works the miracle that's here, that soon as the Father gets glory in this activity, the Scripture says that they actually want to kill Jesus and they want to kill Lazarus. Imagine that. You're at a funeral, and you're weeping for someone's death, but he rises to, from the grave, and now you want to kill him and the person who actually brought about the miracle. That's called religious devils for you. They'll sit there, and they'll mourn for your death just as long as you stay in the grave. That's an anti-Christ spirit. What is Christ the anointing? So it's anti the anointing. So when Jesus shows up and he begins to move in the spirit and begins to uh, begin to, if you will, as the scripture says right here, to snort with indignation or anger. He was deeply moved. That means to do what? To snort with indignation or anger. That sounds weird. Imagine that you're walking down. And you're hanging out. John's probably the closest with them. You got Peter over here. James probably right over here. You know, they were arguing who's going to be on the right and left. And all of a sudden, Jesus walked along. <clears throat> and I'm sure Peter said, huh, what, what was that? John, D- did he say something? No, he snorted. He, he what? what? Come again? He snorted. It sounded like a horse. I know. Is there an interpretation to that? No. (laughs) Like, this seems to be, you know, maybe not the proper place to be snorting like a horse. That's actually what one commentator says. That that purpose, that word to snort is like that that comes from an animal or particularly a horse. In fact, this is what it says. It signifies, and this is the N-I-C-N-T. This is the New International Commentary. It's a solid, it's one of the best ones that there are, solid commentary. It signifies the loud inarticulate. So in other words, you can't articulate it. It's like, what did he say? I don't know. It was inarticulate. It signifies an inarticulate noise, and its proper use appears to be for the snorting of horses. So yes, Elijah was strange when he bowed down up on Mount Carmel, going into a birthing position with his head between his knees and doing that seven times. This is equally strange in which Jesus (sniffs) snorted like a horse. 
May I submit this thought to you because it says he was deeply moved in the spirit that this was actually a spiritual operation. Not just something weird, but it was a spiritual operation, potentially a prayer. You say, what was it? Because it's dealing with an indignation. Could it be that it was the spirit of death that took the life of Lazarus before his time? And could it possibly be, of course, the scripture is silent, but could it be that Jesus in anger and indignation of the spirit of death and its power that it released, that it was his intercession on behalf grappling against the spirit of death? With the consequence of that also, being weepings and travailings in intercession, just as he wept over Jerusalem, seeing prophetically down the timelines that there would be a great destruction in roughly about 70 AD in which destruction would come upon Jerusalem. He saw that and he began to weep. Could it be that at the point in which he wept, he saw Lazarus rising up and seeing the unbelief? Could it be that he saw, even as he saw Jerusalem in the future destroyed, them trying to bring a destruction to his own life because of the mighty miracle that just occurred? Could it be the weepings of the hardness of the hearts of the people? Could it be? But what we do know is he was moved in his spirit. And it says he was troubled. That word is to literally be outraged. He certainly would not have been outraged at the ladies that were there. He certainly would not have been outraged at the disciples. What possibly could he be outraged at? Could it be he was outraged by how a life of a beloved friend of his was snuffed out early, but it was an opportunity for the father to get glory in this particular situation, no matter how bleak it looked. And even though everybody else around him is saying, Lord, if you would have been here, as we see in the scripture, he would have lived. He was always challenging them because all of us have ceilings of faith over our lives or ceilings, I'll call them, of unbelief. Come on, are you here? Even his own disciples, uh, 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 well, let's not go there. We're going to end it right here. Hallelujah. Let me close it with this because that's going to go into another half hour sermon. We want to get you out to Betty Burger. All right. Hallelujah. <laughs> Where was I at? Huh? His disciples. Ah, uh, yeah. So his, his disciples. Thank you, guys. Oh, now all of a sudden the praise and worship movement is moving now. So. It certainly could not have been anger towards his disciples. It was anger towards the enemy for a snuff life that was there that had occurred. And it was his desire to see the father. Ah, I know what it was. The ceiling. All of us have ceilings over our life. Remember the ladies came to him and said what? Said, if you had been here, he would be healed. Right? Right? That was what they had faith. Lord, if you would have been here, yet even now, the things that you say, we know God hears from you. Yes, I know. He'll rise again. I know he will. Eschological future. I know your end times. You're coming back again. No, he's like, no, he's going to rise like now. He makes it clear to them. All of them had faith in Jesus that if you would have been here, he would have been healed. Even his own disciples. So what was that? They had a ceiling over them. And Jesus wants to break through that ceiling. And that's exactly what happened. You see, the Bible says we go from faith to faith. 
And here's what ends up happening in the church. And I want you to listen to me very carefully. When you have ceilings over your life, what happens, it can become a pretext to your spiritual life going on automation. Getting into traditions. Because those ceilings of faith, now all of a sudden you don't need to trust and believe in God. Because now the ceiling keeps you right there. So now you keep into your, you keep under that ceiling and that's why church comes and your own personal devotion with Christ has no fire to it. Because now you can, because that ceiling, you don't need to live by faith, you live by traditions. That creates a ceiling of tradition. It creates a ceiling of just living a liturgical life, a traditional life. But the Bible says we go from faith to faith, not faith to traditions, faith to automation. That's why it's necessary. Even Jesus himself. Imagine that. Maybe his impulse was to go and pray for him, but it's like the father's like, no, stay here. We want you to minister some more. Heal some people around here before you go over there. Okay, father, even though I got this gift and even though I'd like to go heal him right now, because I know you gave me that gift, I'm going to yield this gift and I'm going to continue to minister in this place for the next couple of days. So that when he moves, even Jesus himself, and yes, he rose the dead earlier in his ministry, but again, this was for three days, not just walking up on a funeral. Come on, are you here? There's a difference between one day or a few hours versus three days, and he's stinking in a cave. Are you here? So another level, even for Jesus, but he had to break the spiritual environment of unbelief that was there. All the mourners, including all the professional mourners that were there. Jesus was there to bust through barriers. How many of us have barriers over our life? How many of us have had words and they were legitimate words of the Lord, but they become a ceiling over our life? It's a time like never before to re-engage the Spirit of God, to pray through some of those things and grapple with those things in prayer. So that we can bust through those things. Even as Jesus himself. If Jesus is the one who remarked about the importance of prevailing prayer. God in the flesh. No sin. Certainly he had the most powerful prayer life there could be. And if he himself speaks about having a prevailing prayer life. How much more us who are corruptible. How much more should we take heed to what he said. And pray prayers that avail much. Pray through in this realm in order to secure those things by which we know those things, not just what we've spoken, but because we know we have security with heaven and we prayed those things through. And everyone says. You've been listening to the Freedom House podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you would like more information about our house, please visit our website, FHUS.org. Thanks again for tuning in. And please consider sharing this podcast with your friends and family. See you next time.